0: Welcome to Totally Pretentious, a podcast about great movies. I'm David. And I'm Sean. And today we're going to be talking about Val Luton's Cat People and The Seventh Victim, our first double bill.
1: I know, thanks to David, because you picked this on the, the episode on M. And you, you begged me, begged me to let you have two movies.
0: Well, and that's the thing with the, uh, I find that, uh, with, uh, dealing with Val Luton, and, uh, you know, I really wanted to do, uh, look at his work and trying to pick one film is so hard, but they're nice short movies. So, uh, I mean, you watch the two of them together. They're still shorter than Endgame and
1: <laughs> by almost half <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they 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 bounce off each other i think in in a really interesting way so um that's that was part of my reasoning for uh going for two
1: well so we'll talk a little bit more about that and you know a lot of detail and i'll get you to the wax lyrical about Val Luton, i'm sure uh, but before we get to that we obviously need to talk about what we have been watching and enjoying in cinematic form recently and so i will jump to you david and we'll get you started what Are you currently watching or recently watched? And also given that this, you know, we've got some time, what are you looking forward to in the very immediate future? I already know the answer. But let's hear it anyway. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. I mean, the, for the, in the very immediate future, what I'm looking forward to is Godzilla King of the Monsters, which, uh, frankly has eclipsed just the existence of just about any other movie out there, uh, uh for me and, and my family. <laughs> we're, we're that uh, looking forward to it that much. Though, though I should also add that, uh, John Wick 3 is coming out on, uh, my wife and I on our anniversary. So, uh, that's a nice gift too.
1: That seems like an appropriate anniversary gift. Just you know, two hours of Keanu Reeves murdering people.
0: It's made for us, so uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're we're looking forward to that. And uh, and I guess you know all the, what I've seen most recently is Endgame, which I'm betting is probably true for you as well.
1: That is correct, and I I, I have much opinion about that film, uh, but we're also recording a podcast on it, so so I can't quite say anything more except that I did enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, well, since I won't be on that podcast, I'll natter very briefly in a non-spoilerish way. I will say that I, that I basically enjoyed it. Uh, it felt like, uh, I know it, it wrapped up, uh, some, some arcs, uh, in a largely satisfactorily satisfactory way. The, some of the emotional payoffs, uh, I think were, uh, worked some, some did not, but, uh, uh, some of the big ones did, uh, but it, as I've been thinking about it, it also reminded me or or made me think of why for, I find for a lot of Marvel films, there's a, they're a kind of one and done experience for me. And I think it's that this is another film, which is, it is a whole that is precisely the sum of its parts and no more hmm. that it from moment to moment, this, this works or that doesn't. And then you wind up with a positive or negative, uh, balance. Uh, but it's the, I'd say the Marvel films that feel like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, uh, are, would be things like Thor Ragnarok or Black Panther, where you really, f- there's the sense of the, the individual fi- uh, filmmakers is, is getting to speak a bit more than, um, particularly the event films, which, um, can have it be a rather more shambolic experience uh but yeah having said that i um i still uh i, I liked it a lot more than i did uh infinity war
1: yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'll just say yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, there'll be some things that'll be said when we do the re- recording on that so just if you're not subscribed to the rest of the skiffy Fantasy, show do make sure you subscribe to either the full podcast or just to at the movies which is The episode will show up there that'll be on that. But I I suspect all the folks being on it, we're going to have some very interesting conversations because I think already I can tell that almost all of us probably liked mostly the same things and severely disliked mostly the same things. And I suspect you and I, David, in the same camp, because I suspect the parts that really did not work for you are probably the parts that did not work for me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I be, I'm I betting that's very likely the case. So, uh, yeah, so I would urge everyone to <laughs> tune in for the, the complete Skiffy and Fanty conversation.
1: That'll be great, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll be interested to hear that
1: myself. So I guess for the rest that I'm watching at the moment, I am working on Babylon 5, because we've got another episode of that being recorded. And uh, I am watching Game of Thrones, because this is the oh, final yes. season and I I have gotten to the point where I am just like, if a, a certain character ends up on the throne or keeping the throne, if I just don't want to give any kind of spoilers away, mm-hmm. uh, I will be very disappointed because it will be a very unsatisfactory ending to this story, given where this character is going. So I have lots of opinions about Game of Thrones at the moment. I really am enjoying it, but also I'm just like, how is this person... Still, I just, n- no, you kind of just need to like go retire or something, or I don't know, like go on an adventure that doesn't involve murdering people.
0: Yeah, well, I'll be, I mean, I'm enjoying it as well, uh, you know, be curious to see if, you know, will will the the, the smart decisions creatively outweigh the dumb ones uh, by the end? <laughs> uh, I mean, I suspect by the time uh, this podcast uh, is available, uh, we'll all know uh, how, how it turns out. That's a good point.
1: Out. Yeah, so maybe it doesn't matter if we spoil any specifics, <laughs> <laughs> because by then we'll know the answers. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we gotta move on. All right, David, so tell me what the deal is with these two films, because they're from 1942 and 1943. They are a loose sequel. The Seventh Victim is somewhat of a sequel that involves a recurring character, I believe in Tom Conway, uh, who plays the psychologist in both films, but they are very different in terms of the types of stories they are. So Cat People, 1942, Seventh Victim, 1943. So why these two films? What's their deal, David? Tell me their deal.
0: Well, um, to begin with Cat People, uh, first, so this was the first of Val Lewton's horror productions, and it is one of the most important horror movies of the 1940s. And it uh, comes at a time when, uh, so uh, Universal Studios had revived uh, the, the horror genre in, uh, at the end of the 30s, after it had pretty much gone into hibernation in 1936, uh, with the, uh, by doing a, uh, having a, a double bill of the original Dracula and Frankenstein and then starting, uh, up the franchises again with uh, Son of Frankenstein. And as we enter the forties, we're, we're entering the realm of the monster mash, right? Uh, so, uh, we get our, our first ones. Oh, uh, I, I guess with, uh, the, the first real one would be Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So that, that's from 1943. And that, uh, you know, we, here's where we get our first, uh, cinematic universe for, uh, uh, really. But in 1941, uh, uh, we get the Wolfman. And this is an enormous success. And, uh, RKO. Is wanting to do something similar, and hence cat people. But what Val Lewton, you know, given the title to uh, to work with, but then given a free hand uh, as far as making the film is concerned, produced something very, very different. So whereas the Universal films continued to exist in this kind of limbo zone of some vaguely defined uh, Eastern European locale uh, set at a vaguely defined time that seemed to blur the 19th and the 20th centuries. Cat People takes place in the here and now of 1942 in uh, a very recognizable New York City. And so this was something that really hadn't been seen uh, much at all uh, in horror movies uh, at that point of being in a very ordinary, uh, recognizable world. And we get also Luton's love of ambiguity. RKO made some, uh, uh, insisted on some aspects so that, uh, in the end, Simone Simon, Simon's transformation, uh, into a panther is clearly that it really is happening. It's not just in her mind, but as uh, Luton was originally, uh, making, there was a lot more ambiguity there. And even so, we still have this, marvelous play of shadows and so much that is suggested we that the film is also important for giving us uh the first jump scare of the movies uh with uh the something that uh luton and his crew came to call the bus which is the sequence where alice is going through central park and uh, is being stalked by uh irena the uh uh, the, the cat person of the title, and just as she's about to be attacked, we hear the hiss of the air brakes of a bus that suddenly comes into frame. So there's a lot there that uh, makes uh, you know, Cat People very, very important. And it was a big success. And we then get a whole series of films produced by Val Lewton, uh with a, different directors and writers. He made a couple with Jacques Tourneur, I Walked With a Zombie being another, a few with Mark Robson as a director. And he did The Seventh Victim and uh, Robert Wise. But there, uh, as I, we were discussing, uh, prior to uh, recording, uh, with Val Luton, we get the rare instance of a producer auteur, uh, that th- though we have different directors and different writers, those films are unmistakably the production of Luton's interests and obsessions and concerns. And he had his hands. He was very much involved in the, the writing of the films and, uh, the, you know, how they were, were going to be done. So Cat People uh, gets things uh, off. And now it does have an actual sequel, Curse of the Cat People. Uh, though if uh, people, uh, audiences were uh, going there expecting to get a straightforward horror follow-up to Cat People, they are in for a very big surprise. Because what we get is the story of the daughter of uh, our uh, uh surviving uh, characters from from cat people who's a lonely imaginative little girl who uh, doesn't really have any friends and she is uh, befriended by the ghost of uh, her father's first wife uh Irena the the cat person in the uh, the first film and it's a it's a rather dark childhood fantasy a very very personal film for Luton and not at all a straightforward horror movie. Now, the seventh victim is, I think we should probably call it a, uh, a kind of prequel to Cat People, though, uh, because, uh, the character of, uh, Dr. Lewis Judd, uh, played by Tom Conway is killed at the end of Cat People. But we get him again in the seventh victim, uh, very clearly the same character. And I think one of the reasons why I like, uh, pairing Cat People with the seventh victim is that the seventh victim, which is already one of the bleakest horror movies of the forties, uh, and beyond is rendered even more bleak by the pairing with cat people. So that if, if you watch Seventh Victim on its own, Lewis Judd comes across as, well, I mean, he's, you know, uh, ethically dubious to put it mildly and, and yet is given these redemptive moments at the end. And he is the one who was given the kind of moralizing speech, uh, at the end of the film. But when you realize that this moral lesson is being delivered by uh, a psychologist who attempts to rape his patient uh, in the previous film, then it rings even more hollow.
1: Okay, so this leads me to a, a question because I, I, the the morality of Louis Judd or Louis Judd aside, there there is a moment in the film when he refers to at least what some people seem to interpret as being Arena from Cat People. But you seem to take the the idea that the seventh victim is more of a prequel, which would explain which would make coherent the fact that he dies in cat people because he obviously doesn't appear in Curse of Cat of the Cat People, uh because otherwise it would be very confusing. How could he be alive and referring to what happens in cat people? Uh I like your vision much better than than the version where he seems to be referring to Arena uh, in the Seventh Victim.
0: Oh, I see. So, because you're talking, uh, you'd be referring to that moment um, in the uh, the Seventh Victim where he talks about a young woman who is now in an asylum, right? Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, he he refers to like I he once knew someone who was basically insane, and given the what we know of cat people, right? His first. Explanation for Arena's erratic behavior is effectively that she is suffering some form of psychosis. I mean, he even flat out says to the main character, the main male character of Cat People, that you basically have two options here: you can divorce her, or you can have her committed. Which didn't quite make sense to me because you could also divorce her and have her committed at the same time, I suppose. Uh, But you know, I wasn't around in the 1940s, so maybe that's just how things were done. So it would seem to suggest that. If we treat this film as a sequel proper rather than a prequel, he didn't die. But then there's no explanation for that. So it would render it incoherent. It would make it nonsensical. But it would also be a thing that would make sense in the context of some horror film, quote unquote, franchises where, you know, sort of the earlier period of horror films when characters would come back without any explanation for how they're not dead from the last film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that particularly with uh, poor uh, uh, Lawrence Talbot, the wolfman, he, who, who keeps coming back, though, uh, it, there are still in, 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 the, in the, the Universal films, there would tend to be at least some kind of explanation, particularly with regards to the Frankenstein monster as how he survived from movie to movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, uh, both Judd and Irena, uh, are pretty clearly dead by the end of Cat People. Uh, and, uh, furthered with, uh, uh, I mean, the fact that Irena is dead at the end of Cat People is even more explicit than the fact that it's her ghost that we get in, uh, Curse of the Cat People. And I guess, uh, you know, I, I should add, you know, for, for the benefit of, obviously we're into full spoilers here, but, uh, by way of very, very brief summaries, Cat People tells us the story of, uh, the unfortunate, uh, Irena who, uh, falls in love with, uh, the uh the rather bland all-american uh oliver uh but they get married but she is uh, uh believes that she is cursed to turn into a panther if her emotions are in any way inflamed uh and it turns out that she is in fact correct uh the seventh victim is a story of satanists in greenwich village uh where uh here the sister, um, of, uh, of, one of their members, as it, as it turns out, uh, is on a quest to, to find, uh, her, her missing, uh, sister. And, uh, so this, this is a, so, Kim Hunter playing Mary is looking for, uh, her sister Jacqueline, played by Jean Brooks, uh, who it turns out is also under the care of, of Tom Conway. Uh, and things don't go very well there either. And, and, and in fact, the, uh, uh, the seventh victim, luton was uh, told by uh uh the uh, the RKO powers of be that no message movies and uh to which he responded that the seventh victim oh yeah the seventh victim has a message its message is death is good uh and the, the the i mean the seventh victim has the most uh extraordinarily bleak ending of uh just about any horror movie from that decade and the ones before and and really for for many to come where uh jacqueline having been um Having betrayed the uh, the Satanists, they uh, try to get her to commit suicide, which uh, said attempt is spoiled. But then she uh, returns to the apartment where she has rented a room, and its only furniture is a noose with a chair underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> And the the last thing we hear is from behind that closed door, the chair being overturned. And the, the the sense of in of, of just the I mean this, this is a film about loneliness and despair, and the it doesn't have the the supernatural element exactly of cat people, but it kind of hovers at the edges, in at least in the sense of a kind of merciless, inevitable fate, in that. The, the, from the title, she, Jacqueline is meant to be the seventh victim of this cult. There have been six other people through the years who betrayed them and died. She is to be the seventh. And though they do not appear to succeed in getting her to kill herself, we see that the uh, room that she rented is room number seven. As if the her, her doom has been written uh from the word go in this film.
1: So another thing that probably is worth adding to the ending of the Seven Victim is that the neighbor that lives next to her is dying. I believe her name is Mimi. Is yes. is dying? She has some sort of terminal illness. I can't recall exactly what she has.
0: It's never specified, though. The, the suggestion is that it's you know might be tuberculosis because we see her coughing a lot.
1: That would make sense. Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense. So. Uh, And and she basically decides slightly before this, I believe, in a conversation with Mary that she's going to go one last time out on the town before she dies. So she dresses herself up. So this is, you know, this terminally ill, I am going to die. There's no escaping death person, right? Walking out, hearing the thud, thinking nothing of it and then leaving. Yes. And so there's this this really lovely parallel of of the two perspectives being offered the sort of like more grim horrifying like you were saying the idea that that like her fate is already sealed sort of sense and then that the sort of morose sense of how she approaches that because uh, it it would be safe to say that Jacqueline's treatment of what is happening to her is not very optimistic it is very dark depressing it just it's like a weight like she's being crushed by death, which makes sense, we'll kind of come back to maybe what the Satanists have to say about this where versus the the actual dying person, the person who knows that her life is being shortened and she will not survive much longer, is choosing instead to face death with a much more cheery expression of dressing herself up and going out and having a night on the town if she has tuberculosis, I guess it also means she's going to be infecting the entire town but, you know. <laughs> Good times. I suppose there's an el- element of that, too, if, if we're reading it as TB, uh, because then death comes for us all, including through the happy joys of a dying woman. Well,
0: and and yeah, I mean, the in the, the conversation that Mimi has with Jacqueline, right, uh, The we have the contrast, too, right? You know, she's been, Jack, Mimi says, I've been very good. I've been resting and resting, but death is still coming for me, right? She doesn't want to die, but death is rushing towards her. And Jacqueline uh, responds with saying, whereas I've always wanted to die. Right. Uh, and is, you know, she's healthy, but is, is, is choosing death. And in, and, and so Mimi decides, well, fine. Yeah. I, I'm going to have fun one more time, even if that is basically going to kill me. So that there, there, there's both, you know, there, the fact that, uh, the, the final words, uh, in the film, R is is also the epigraph that began the film from uh, John Donne's Holy Sonnet 1, I run to death and death meets me as fast and all my pleasures are like yesterday, is uh, aptly uh, describing the situation of both women in that moment. I should also add that Mimi is played by Elizabeth Russell, whom we saw in Cat People as well, playing a different character but also a memorably a memorable one in a very small moment she 's the other cat woman uh that uh Irena encounters uh at her wedding reception in the the restaurant who confronts her and, and calls her her sister
1: oh yeah you 're right i f- I forgot about that
0: and she would return again in Curse of the Cat people uh this time as the uh, rep- uh the a kind of repressed uh tormented daughter of uh an old the, the old old woman next door um and uh that the the little girl becomes involved with and and in fact does become the the primary threat in that film. So, a lot of recurring figures in, uh, Luton's films too, uh, the, uh, in both in cast, uh, I mean, most famously with Boris Karloff doing three films with him, uh, but, uh, but other cast members as well, uh, and, uh, you know, consistent writing teams, uh, and directors.
1: That's, that is really interesting. So, I, I, eventually I want us to come back to Cat People, but since we're kind of in, uh, Seventh Victim, Maybe we should just keep going, and it makes sense, given that you read it as a prequel, that maybe we should really dig here first, although I, I watched it Cat People first, then this, uh, by your instruction.
0: Yeah, because that, I think, you know, it, knowing what Judd is like, yeah, then colors how we view him in The Seventh Victim.
1: That's It's really interesting because, yeah, in, in Cat People, he's I, there. there was really no point at which I felt like his character might not turn out to be kind of gross. Uh, but in in cat people, it just he just gets progressively more awful, uh, right up to the point when he he does uh, effectively try to to rape Arena, uh, and it's it's a really disturbing scene because he seems to be well, it's disturbing because he is a psychologist in both in both films and is in cat people taking advantage of his patients. Which, if we watch Cat People, as you suggest, also leads us to a situation where we have to assume he maybe has always been taking advantage of his patients, uh, who are women especially.
0: Well there's that moment when uh you know it looks like uh, it it looks like things might be wrapping up okay for Jacqueline uh that she's no longer going to be in his care in inverted commas and he says oh to me it looks like uh, for me this is the end of a delightful relationship. Cool. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh so yeah uh you know the he's uh when alice uh, talks about him I mean, the, uh, that he, he makes me want to i think it makes me want to spit cotton i think uh the, the, the in his, as far as his mannerisms i mean she's she's absolutely right now why then for therefore she would recommend him as a psychiatrist for uh irena uh may say something about uh alice's long-term designs too
1: yeah it, it possibly does now i'm really curious what you make at, you know so the end of the 7th uh, victim, he has this moment where he's talking to the cultists, who effectively are like worshippers of they're they worshippers of evil slash death, uh, and they and they make this this it's implied to be somewhat insidious because they're kind of in shadow in the shot of them sitting around this table and the, the leader gets up and says like there's nothing wrong with worshiping this like how do you know that it's just better and i i forget which character is the like, gary or whatever who basically says like i don't have a way to explain it to you but i'm just right that good is better than evil
0: yeah that's uh, the our our poet um uh yeah gregory
1: yeah gregory excuse me uh and and you know it 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 makes a it's really lovely that that is his response because initially it's sort of like well they're bringing up this point that instinctually we want to have Gregory's response which is to say well you're wrong oh I'm
0: I'm sorry I'm sorry it's jace it's Jason sorry I got that mixed up Jason Jason.
1: Frank Bill it's just a white person name (laughs) who knows Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah so okay so. He's sort of filling in for the audience because our initial reaction is probably like, especially the 1940s, we're very likely to be Christian. And so we're very likely to say, oh, no, like Satan worshipers and like worshiping evil. Like, oh, no, you're wrong. We may not have reasons, but we just you're wrong. And I love that the response to that from the psychologist uh, is to read the Lord's Prayer. Uh, as a thing that he recalls from, I guess, childhood, uh, he effectively reads parts of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm curious what you make of that, because he basically is defining himself as a man of science with religious convictions, c- uh, in contrast to the, uh, the cultists who would, I guess you would say are people of religious conviction with, without necessarily science, uh, because it doesn't appear that they operate in scientific terms. But he also is, it, it seems to suggest that his materialistic elements are also evil. It's
0: <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, he hangs out with them all the time, right? I mean, when they find him earlier at that party, he's, uh, he's hanging out at the, 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 hostess. She's one of the, uh, uh the Satanists and half of, half of them are there, uh, at, at that party. I mean, there's a, the, I think it was the screenwriter do it. One of the screenwriters do it. Bodine, who, um, was doing research on, uh, uh, Satanists, uh, prior to the making of the film and described his experience of basically just sitting around with little old ladies doing crochet. Uh, and the, the, or the, the paladists, as they call themselves here. I mean, there is this, I mean, uh, the, the idea of, of, of wisdom, right? Uh, in the name, because, you know, they're taking it from Pallas Athena. So there's this sense of, of this, you know, quest for, uh, for knowledge. But I, I think there's, if you look at the, the, the pervading sense of isolation and loneliness, uh, in, you know, just experienced by so many people in the film. It's like by the end, in many ways, they're more pathetic than they are sinister. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, Judd's, uh, you know, uh, sternly reading, reciting the Lord's Prayer to them. It looks like he's, he's scolding them and they look kind of abashed. Right. And the, the thing is though and and bearing in mind this is this is a uh, a a film that's made under the uh, auspices of the uh, production code and there are all sorts of do's and don'ts uh right as to what uh, was was permissible and among the things that uh was a big no-no is evil cannot triumph right uh so you're not going to get uh the bad guys winning in uh, uh in films from uh, from this period and whereas this scene here would uh on the surface appear to answer that requirement perfectly right with this moralizing uh lesson about the the lord's prayer and the Satanist looking all all uh abashed the problem is uh that the person who is delivering this lecture is a scumbag and uh the so that it, it it makes his words ring hollow, particularly if we've if we've seen Cat People and we know what this guy is like at his worst, right? The, the, the as creepy as he is in this film, he's even creepier in Cat People, and we know what's going to happen to him. Uh And then on top of that, after you know, he he delivers that speech, but it's after he delivers that speech that we then get. Uh, Jacqueline's terrifying walk home and her suicide.
1: Yeah, and it does really, you're right. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if this is their intention, but it it does definitely feel that even though technically evil is supposed to not triumph, in the end it, it almost feels as though they have. And perhaps the reading of the Lord's Prayer gives this sort of faint sense that it is not a success, uh, because they do seem, yeah. I think, somewhat pathetic, even though the lighting is trying to give us the opposite impression. It's clear from their body language when they're sort of being, quote-unquote, reprimanded by Judd. Uh, but by the end of the narrative, it it very much seems like everything they had sought to complete ends up happening, because they they wanted to kill her yeah. in the first place. Specifically, they wanted her to kill herself. And it's actually one of the other yes. members of the group that prevents her when she finally agrees. So we should see it coming by the end that when she does this walk home and she's being chased by the dude with the knife, who's like going to, I guess cut her some apple slices. I'm not sure. Uh <laughs> No, uh, but, but it's very clear like she is going to die. And so if we're expecting something else, it's because we're maybe not paying attention or perhaps we have different narrative expectations of a 1940s film. Cause it is certainly the case with something like cat people, that there are elements that aren't really shown very well in the film, like the romance, but that's not really the focus of the story per se. Uh, so things are kind of rushed sometimes in these films, but this seems like they really went and dragged these out deliberately to really set the tone of the end of The Seventh Victim, so it doesn't feel like that was a narrative rush to just have her go from changing her mind to killing herself again. It seems more clear to me that she wants to die and she even tells us that at one point right i yeah. want to die so
0: that's and that yeah that's been there from the start so did they yes is does she die as a result of what they did or is it uh you know, the other breaking point has been reached for some other way we could i mean there's there's some of uh luton's trademark ambiguity right we could we could take that a number of ways there uh, and now, and I, I have to say, I, I, um, I might need to be corrected. I can't remember, uh, de- uh definitively if we get her walk home, if, this, if that's after Lewis's speech or if that, if that happens before. Uh, but, but either way, uh, that's certainly, uh, the, uh, yeah, that, that, that ending, uh, yeah, she, she, she dies as they wished her to or, uh, but whether, yeah, uh, that was their doing or, you know, something that's been, Built into her, uh, tragically for so long, or both, uh, L- uh, Luton's, uh, and Luton and his uh, team leave that up in the air for us.
1: I'm sorry. I'm pausing because I'm actually checking for you.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was trying to figure. I was trying to remember, uh, suddenly couldn't remember what order the, the events happened. If, if Lewis and, uh, all of Jason show up after, yeah, you because know, I know that like they leave and then there's that that scene back at the apartments where they don't where they don't realize that she's come home but i can't remember precisely the order
1: okay so uh she does her walk home it appears that like she gets home and then they have their confrontation yeah so it's right before she actually dies so she goes into her apartment and then it cuts away to them in like their weird shadow council and there's like a wonderful light on the dude's face and then he you know they get reprimanded quote-unquote by by uh dr judd and then uh it goes back to the uh being told like they're all like oh she's back at the apartment now she and then uh what's his name uh uh, confesses his love Uh, gregory confesses his love to uh to, to mary uh, I mean, it's
0: this, it's so grim, right? Because, uh, it's like, I, I love you, not Jacqueline. Well, uh, but, uh, uh, we can't do this to her. So, okay, we can't be together. And then meanwhile, uh, oh yeah, you're going to be able to be together. She's just killed herself next door. Um, you know, it's just this, I mean, like, there's a lot of darkness in, uh, Luton's films, but this is the darkest of them all, uh, by, by some measure where we are really, Denied any kind of of happy ending, and we get, you know, the it's it's not like Cat People exactly has a happy ending, uh, but Oliver and Alice survive, and uh, they they go on to be really awful parents in Curse of the Cat People.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, just terrible.
1: So I, I do want to kind of I, I think it's a good way for us to bridge because there's there's more we could talk about with with Seven Victim, but. It does feel like so much of it is the tonal quality and that seems like a great way to bridge into talking about Cat People because you are correct that while you couldn't say that the narrative of Cat People is like a happy story and it necessarily ends happy, it is a less gruesome film and perhaps in a way somewhat differently ambiguous in a way that feels less ambiguous to me because this film Mm -hmm. there's there are a lot of elements to this that just feel like characters are being put in these horrible dilemmas and and don't have good good answers to the dilemmas like you know whether or not i should love a man right i need to take care of my sister the sister she's she's basically destined to die and so when Jacqueline gets to the end she dies but you have all these moments where that's all sort of curtailed and it's Follows also a different tone because it's much more noir in terms of its structure, in terms of the story structure, because it effectively starts as a loose, uh, uh, like private eye detective story, just with Mary filling yes. the role of that, although there is the lovely um, uh, Irvin August who shows up to be an actual yes. detective, and I, I swear to God I wanted more of his character, because he was delightful.
0: Oh, he's, he's great, isn't it? Well, you know, it's, uh, he's a private eye, I was like, well, I'm not going in there, that's scary.
1: Right, right, yeah, uh, he's delightful, but uh, Cat People is totally very different, and while I do think there's some ambiguity, because there's a sense to which Irina is not fully in control of her ability to turn into a evil mean cat lady uh there there is a component there which is the sort of familiar narrative of love sort of being destroyed by jealousy because it's effectively what mm-hmm. literally what happened so there's a sort of romantic plot here that is familiar that reads like a lot of stories where a, a you know a jaded lover seeks vengeance on people which i think takes away some of arena's ambiguity Partly because we don't see it solely from her perspective. We actually watch the story from multiple perspectives. So we all know that our main character is in fact not doing anything wrong. He's confiding in his friend, Alice, uh, his, one of his closest uh, confidants. Of course, she confesses her love for him, blah, 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 blah. But she doesn't yeah. ever take it to the next level of I am going to try to steal you away. But rather, how can I help you so that you're happy? Uh, but Arena doesn't see that she sees it as as uh you know Alice is trying to steal her away and as you'd mentioned earlier right when her emotions get heated or raised or you know really messed up by jealousy as an example of it uh, and anger that's when she loses control of herself and stops being the somewhat awkward slightly off individual that she is in the beginning who is a fashion designer that she does arts and stuff uh to monstrous to a degree
0: the thing is though, I mean yeah, I mean Alice you know comes right out and, and tells Oliver that she loves him uh fairly early on once uh you know the you know the troubles, the the trouble between him and arena is 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 getting worse right right, and uh, she at one point she even says that's why I'm so dangerous, I'm the new kind of other woman. Right. Uh, you know, almost <laughs> saying that, you know, uh, what she plans to do. And, you know, seems like it, when they're in the, when they're, they're in the ship museum, uh, I just wanted to go look at other boat models and, uh, you know, and Irena wants to stay with them and says, Oh, we don't want you to be bored and send her, uh, uh, on her way. I mean, their, their actions there are at the very least thoughtless.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Oliver may not actually be in an affair, um, with, uh, or, you know, physically with, uh, with Alice, but he is to, you know, really into, for all other, uh, by almost every other emotional measure. And certainly, uh, the, you know, Irena in many ways, I mean, it's, you're absolutely right that, uh, the film gives us the action from all, th- from multiple perspectives. And so that, that scrambles, uh, our, our feelings of sympathy, particularly since, you know, when, when Arena, uh, turns into a panther, it's Alice who's the primary, uh, stalking victim in, uh, two of the film's most famous sequences, Central Park and the swimming pool.
1: Yeah. Oh, the swimming pool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so we we get that fr- the, the the horror scenes from Alice's point of view, but we've had so much of the film from Irena's point of view, and we see the uh, emotional pain that she is is undergoing, and how, by comparison, how shallow and callow both Oliver and Alice are in comparison. Uh, that the, uh, this I think certainly compounds the sense of, of the tragedy that we're watching. I mean, Arena simply cannot win. Uh, in, uh, that, that everywhere that, that she needs help most desperately, she's not going to get it.
1: I, I guess I would push back somewhat. Maybe this is just because I'm, I'm reading this film a little bit differently in that I found Arena slightly less sympathetic because a, Oliver should never have married her to begin with, because it never made sense to me why they got married. He seemed to just like her because she was pretty. There was not anything shown at the beginning of the story that really gave me a good reason for why they they, they are together at all. Uh, and part of that's just the way that the, the narrative is set up. It's not really trying to focus on that component. It's trying to focus on the mm-hmm. aftermath, which I get, but... Right. And maybe there's some element, this is the 1940s, so there are a lot of things that you can't really show, but it, it never quite made sense to me because... This person is always gets the the impression of like feeling very distant and is never quite there. And even after they get married, one of their central problems from a relationship standpoint, I hate that I'm like, I'm going to be like the relationship counselor right now to these (laughs) fictional characters. But one of the problems is like they have no sense of like physical intimacy. I mean, quite literally the issue is is partly consummation, which I'm sure there's an element here to kind of uh, a, a sort of a horror element of like virginity and and sex and and those energies sort of being fed into here, uh which we could talk about, but I I don't necessarily have a personal opinion on that. But for me like the the issue is like here is this guy and he is he loves this woman, and he is trying to make something work. And every time he comes to her and says, "Like, how do we work through this? How do we find a way through this?" She just goes, eh, "I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't feel like it." And there is a point at which, like, well, you know, you went to the psychiatrist once. To be fair, we know that Judd is as a turd, and so probably should send her somewhere else. But she only goes once. She doesn't go back. She seems to constantly be. Focused on the traumas and never considering that perhaps her perspective on things is affecting the ability for them to even have a relationship. And almost all of the emotional intimacy you refer to, he gets from Alice because Alice is receptive to like, well, he feels something. And so I will hear what he has to say and I will try to talk with him through it. And so there's a degree to which while I understand where Arena is coming from, I found myself less willing to sympathize with her because some of this is things that she doesn't seem to want to try to correct. And it seems to me that there is a part of her that's somewhat selfish. That she's not willing to try to find solutions to these problems in order for them to have a relationship that approaches a normal marriage. Uh, and some of this is, I don't want to give the impression that it's just all her fault and so we got to blame the woman. Ollie probably should have... Uh, not been so, so no emotionally intimate with Alice before realizing that maybe this marriage wasn't going to work. And probably he should have known that before he got married. So some of this is certainly his fault, but it makes for me the, the narrative of, of Arena sort of going from this person that's deeply traumatized to I'm now stalking people like a cat, literally, uh, and, and potentially threatening to kill people less sympathetic. Because it seems more that she has set herself up for this to some degree.
0: No, that's fair, and I think it's it's true of uh, like so many of uh, the the characters in Luton's films that uh, there's the the way like so many of his his characters uh, in film after film are very damaged people. Yeah, and. Things that, some of the things that happen are beyond their control and some of the things that happen, uh, things that, that, maybe they could fix, but are perhaps, perhaps don't because of the things that are out of their control and exactly where the, we draw the line, uh, is, uh, is, is, is hard to. Uh, decide at times. And yeah, and I, I, I take your point with, uh, with, with Irena. And I think the, and of course, the, the awful thing is that her sense of being doomed turns out to be absolutely true. She does turn into a panther when she's jealous. Yeah. Everything that she was afraid of turns out to be absolutely correct. Uh, and we see her struggling with, uh, the, the, the loneliness, right? Her, uh, avoiding, friendships, uh, avoiding relationships, but then, you know, and then Oliver really wants a relationship with her, and she wants one with him, and she, you know, she, she gives in, in some ways, to, to the temptation. It's like, alright, she desperately wants this to work, but then is, of course, terrified of, now what? Right? We see the, 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 how stricken she is as they get home on their wedding night. So, but then, all right, yeah, you're right. She only goes to see uh, Judd once, uh, and there's a suggestion that, um, I mean, uh, with Judd again, a, a, a complex figure in that he uh, he does seem to be quite brilliant, even as he's also utterly unethical uh, and uh, and also very supercilious and um, uh, and absolutely uh, sure of his own inerrancy. Uh, but there's a hint that maybe she's gonna get some help there only uh then that's wrecked when she gets home and uh Oliver's there with Alice and it's, uh, Alice is the you know, he, he's told Alice everything about their problems and uh, uh Alice is the one who suggested Judd, and that that sabotages things, uh, for, for Irena too. And, and of course we can turn it around again and see the aspects and ways in which, the ways in which Oliver and Alice are, are trying to do the right thing or trying to be helpful and yet also giving in to temptation. I mean, the, the I think this is one of the other things that, that, um, one of the joys of Luton's films is that the, uh, and, and as much as I love the uh, the Universal films from the same period, there was a the, the the characterizations in them tended to be a lot more straightforward. Not uh, not in every case, but uh, and 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 there is all, all sorts of great stuff that happens in the Wolfman. but also in a lot of the certainly the the monster mashes as we get into the middle forties. You're not going to get anywhere near this kind of situation where you are. You understand where characters are coming from, even as they frustrate you yeah uh for uh the the stupid decisions that they they, they make in other words uh the the characters in luton 's films are so recognizably and painfully human in their bundles of contradictions and their their mistakes and the 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 way they the, the the things that they do wrong, but in ways that you know, Lord help us, we probably would do it wrong too in the same situation.
1: So yeah, I I, I agree, because and I don't want to give the impression that I think Arena is solely to blame here. I think everybody shoulders a lot of the blame. I think you're making a good point that you know, and I have not watched all the, the rest of Luton's films, but I you know, I've watched these two, and it is certainly the case that. Almost all of the characters are far more complicated like normal people in a way mm-hmm. that makes it not as easy to just simply say, well, this is evil and this is good and that's simple. I mean, there is a moment at the end of the seventh victim where it it's like the way that the cultists talk about it is as if there is a clear, obvious division. But when we watch cat people, that is not the case it's not as clear. I mean, arena is afflicted by a thing that she cannot totally control. And while it, we also can kind of understand from the other characters perspectives, like Ollie, for example, like he thinks she's actually suffering from some sort of mental illness, which is an understandable belief given that as far as he's aware, nobody can turn into a cat. Uh, That's not a thing that can happen. So everybody is trying to do for the most part, trying to do the right thing. Arena is trying to not give into this right she gives this great conversation at the very beginning when she first meets ollie and she's talking about the history what what we can interpret to be the history of cat people basically which is this thing about uh she's serbian and so this thing about like king john uh and uh there's this great statue of like king john fighting a cat person and the cat is supposed to be evil and it has something to do with the the town that uh you know, presumably her people are from, was once invaded by Mamelukes, and then was, uh, King John drove the Mamelukes out, but the people that were from the town had like become witches and stuff, and so he decided to kill all of them, except some of them escaped, and so she takes this legend as quite seriously. Uh, almost as though to suggest that she is the descendant of those people who escaped to the mountains and were not slaughtered by King John. And of course, Ollie's perspective is like you have like a pathology from your childhood that is like seeped into your mind and it is affecting our ability to have a normal relationship. So everybody's trying to do what they think is the right thing to help everybody else up until the point when arena sort of becomes consumed by jealousy. And then it, And it, at that moment, it sort of, sort of spirals out of control. And I remember you talking about this film, by the way, a a long time ago on, I think, a Skiffing Fenty podcast. And I don't know if it ended up in an episode, but this has some, some of the like really great sequences that the scene of them walk, of uh, Alice walking in the dark and the clump, clump, clump of the other heels behind her. Uh, And you'd mentioned earlier, right? That hiss. When she thinks that there's something there in the hiss of the bus, which sort of melds into like the, the sound of a cat screeching. Or there's these great sequences, and it, it enhances the tension. I think that we have both these enormously complicated characters that are screwing up even as they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to be good people, with the exception of Dr. Judd, who is questionable, uh, but also these immense sequences of tension that sort of drag those out and make us feel terrified i mean even the, the the pool scene is a great scene right um i don't understand what her swimsuit's doing because she apparently had like weird nipples on her suit i didn't understand what was going on but apparently 1940s they put nipples on suits that was a thing uh but you know she's swimming in this and she's hearing this this roar, all of these sounds and it ends up being arena but of course she's not a cat yet we don't see the cat that comes later so there's just there's just a lot of wonderful tension and build up without showing us those things which i really love
0: yeah we I mean, we do see the shadow of the cat and there's the kind of animated shadow of right. the panther uh in the the swimming pool scene uh but uh yeah we don't we don't actually see her in panther form until she confronts Alice and... Oliver in the, um, at, uh, at their, uh, at their workplace.
1: And I will admit that I, I really like this a lot more in horror because I think part of the problem that a lot of more modern horror suffers from is, uh, just going straight for the scary bits, which eventually just for me becomes, it isn't scary. So like I've watched some of the more recent, like Jason and Texas Chainsaw Massacre reworks and those to me just sort of feel They just feel like we're just coming up with clever ways to murder people, but we're not necessarily like actually doing anything interesting with the suspense. Whereas this film, I felt there's a lot more suspense as we're, you know, because things aren't shown to us right away. It's sort of like a buildup to the reveal. And, you know, yeah, it's 1940. And so like the cat is just a panther. It's not as terrifying as, you know, today as what we would expect. But Still, like you can imagine right like if you're in you're in a building and a panther's attacking you and you don't have a gun or anything like that's kind of scary. Panthers are no joke
0: and uh the Luton would certainly um uh i mean you know as far as uh, doing the scares uh i mean his in almost every film there'd be an extraordinary moment right the the leopard man which Sounds like it's going to be yet another uh, sequel, but isn't. Uh, there is no man who turns into a leopard there, but it's an, uh, one of the very first uh, American serial killer movies. In fact, I think it may be the first American serial killer film and uh the, the 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 one of the opening sequences does have though a, a young woman who is killed by a leopard uh, that 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 has escaped and uh her mother thinks she's just being silly outside and won't open the door uh, for her who as she's hammering on the door screaming to be let in and then when her mother finally realizes that something really is wrong i think she hears the the the, the roar of the leopard and then she's struggling to get the door open and can't and then the scream suddenly cuts off and blood flows under the door uh you know, it's an it's an awful moment uh and uh, even actually showing violence on screen in the body snatcher there's this uh chilling scene where uh uh Bela Lugosi uh is trying to blackmail Boris Karloff but has you know, come all by himself and uh, and and, and uh, Karloff is uh, uh, pretending to uh, go along with uh, Lugosi's simple-minded character, and says, "Well, of course, yeah, and and you know, here's some things we can do together." And he starts talking about Burke and Hare and the way they killed people. and Let me show you. Let me explain to you how it was done. And no, no, don't worry. Let me just let, let me show you. I can't. How can you know, as Lugosi's trying to put bat his hand away. Look. I, I can't show you if you if you won't let me. And then he proceeds to smother Lugosi by shoving, you know, by putting his hand over his mouth and nose, right? And we just see the whole scene played out in this terrible, like the the Carlos terrible calm, right? Hardly ever batting an eye as he suffocates another man. And then while well, he's still crouching over the body, casually uh, putting out the other hand to pat his cat as it walks by. Uh, so the he would, uh, in, in, in some films kind of push things as far as the horror content is concerned pretty far for, uh, 1940 standards. And if we jump ahead a decade, uh, to, uh, 1957 and, uh, Jacques Tourneur who directed, uh, Cat People and I Walked with a Zombie, which, as a little parenthesis, has Tom Conway again, but this time as the romantic hero in a film that is basically a reworking of Jane Eyre, but with zombies. Um, anyway, in, um, uh, in the mid-50s, Jacques Tourneur would direct, uh, Night of the Demon. Uh, in the US, it was released as Curse of the Demon. And it feels like a Val Luton film ten years later in many ways with, uh, you know, this, this devil worshiper and, uh, lots of brilliant use of shadow and a, uh, a rationalist hero who doesn't believe in the supernatural, but whose, uh, whose skepticism is gradually being broken down. Now we know from the very beginning of the movie that the, the, the powers of darkness in here are absolutely real because we get to see a 50 foot demon. And, uh, this was something that was imposed on Tourneur. Uh, he didn't want to actually show the demon, right? He was going to stick much more to Luton's, uh, approach. And, and yeah, you can, it is a kind of rubbery looking demon, but it is also one of the most memorable demons that has ever been put on film. Uh and it's right there on the poster uh for uh Night of the Demon. And when you see this fifty foot thing uh uh materializing, it's pretty goddamn cool. So uh the and and it's exactly the kind of thing that Luton and Tonel resisted in, in Cat People, but there would be times when the uh uh Luton would kind of give way to uh an awful explicitness into what was going on. Uh, the, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, it, and when he did, uh, it, it, it certainly worked brilliantly because the, those scenes had been earned.
1: I think there's something interesting too. And I know this is very much like your field of expertise because I have seen you, David, at, at conventions and what kind of movies you buy. Uh, you know, your horror <laughs> films like a boss. And it, I, one of the things that I think I, I find so fascinating about a lot of, earlier horror films that I have seen is when they do present the monstrous fairly directly there, there's a tangibility to it because it, it mean it literally they didn't have CG. They had no way to sort of really make these things out of anything else. They had to, if they were going to show it, there had to be some form of physical representation. And so it Mm -hmm. gives a sense of realness that, I mean this I know like uh I was thinking, um, oh God, um oh god, what is his name? Something in the pit. Ah. A crater Mass in the Pit? A crater Mass in the Pit, thank you. I mean even that, right, like you know, even though it, it is somewhat horror in nature, it's not fully horror. Uh when they finally show some of the components that are the sort of scary bits to it, right, it feels real, it feels more terrifying right so even something yeah. like this which is not perhaps monstrous in a literal sense right because we're not inventing demonic apparitions and things or just it's just a panther right she doesn't even get a transformation scene which we have seen in other horror films uh somewhere ra- vaguely in this 20 year span of period right where you have some form of transformation well
0: just just the year before you had the wolfman oh right, that's right. yeah <laughs> so which that was, he has a yeah.
1: transformation right this she yeah. doesn't get but even then right like having an actual panther there and realizing it is her, and they of course detect it because they smell her perfume, and so that's what they realize, uh, that gives this a greater sense of terror than if they had made the same movie in 2019 and had been just, let's just CG her into a panther, would it just felt less tangible? Would it felt less real? Now that's changing somewhat because we're getting more film techniques where you can do more, so motion capture and stuff where you can bring in those elements that give it more life but to me, I think part of what makes earlier horror, you know, before sort of CG really becomes very common and is it all feels tangible, which to me is so much more terrifying because it's something that I, I don't have to imagine it as being more real than it is because I know it is a real thing. It's a thing that existed. It may not actually be a real monster, but I can imagine, like, I mean, I've told you this before, like, zombie movies scare the bejesus out of me, right? And it's because, like, I can imagine if I'm in that situation, even if I'm in a movie and I know it's a movie, I don't think that I could turn off my fight or flight reflex entirely to sort of just pretend I'm scared. I think it would legitimately be terrified out of my damn mind because it's just it's that scary to me. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, no,
0: it does. I agree with you about the, the, the tangibility, right? And, uh, I mean, if we, if you want a, a, a comparison, I mean, uh, Cat People was remade in 1982, uh, with, uh, by Paul Schrader with Natasha Kinsky, yeah, uh, yeah. in the lead. And, uh, there, uh, you know, subtlety basically goes out the window and you get all kinds of, of graphic gore effects. Uh, it's, it's by far an, uh, a, a, the lesser of, of of the two films. Uh, but even of course, but then too, there too, it's pre CGI. And so we, there is, it is still practical effects. And I, I agree that, that uh, for horror, the, the physicality of the thing, however much it is, the, the, the makeup might be visible. But I think that, that does matter. I think that may be one of the reasons why the demon in Night of the Demon still works. Or to take the, uh, your example of Quatermass in the Pit, which is, yeah, I would say it's totally a horror film. God, I remember seeing that as a kid in the theaters and just being t- scared out of my mind. Uh, but those, the, the, grasshopper Martians that we see there and all of their gooshiness, uh, and, and slime covered bodies when they're, they're discovered. Uh, there's that, that, that tangible quality. And CGI it certainly um uh has gotten a lot better, but even today, right, the uh the, the most effective uh effects in horror remain the practical ones, uh that when the CGI comes in you can tell and it's uh it, it remains much less effective.
1: And I wonder if some of that has to do with the way that, and, and we, we kind of have to move on because I think we, we've hit yeah. our line, but I wonder if some part of that has to do with the fact that for a lot of horror, when there is supernatural things present, we we sort of have, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different elements, but we sort of have like two different varieties of horror. I mean, there's certainly more, but if we broke them down into like the two most obvious, it would be sort of like the psychological or existential horror where the monstrosities aren't necessarily the central focus. It's more like the impact it has on the characters. So cat people would fit more into that because even though she does turn into a panther and somewhat has a a semi-murderous component here, she does, in fact, murder uh, Judd, it it is more about like the psychological toll it has on her and the characters than it is her turning into a monster. And then you have the more... Well, the seventh victim would be that, absolutely, too, right? Fair. Yeah, Exactly. Versus something more along, like, say, like, um, you know, Jason or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that, or even to some degree, a hybrid would be like um, a Silence of the Lambs, where part of what is the horror is the actual. F- physical transformation or physical damage being done and so that could manifest as like you know Dracula like actually sucking somebody's blood so there's a physicality of like someone being attacked you can you can feel the terror of of that idea or being stabbed with a freaking machete which you know you can it doesn't, it doesn't as scary if I know it's a fake machete, whereas it's a real machete. They just found a clever way to make it look like it went through someone's chest. That to me is like visceral and it feels physical.
0: So you're talking about the difference, not to say between um, supernatural and non-supernatural uh, as, as far as like, like the, the content of the stories is concerned, but rather the delivery of the horror experience itself, whether it's psychological or visceral. essentially yeah yeah uh, in a way yeah
1: you know the the way that it makes us feel as we're watching it right i think with cat people and then the seven victim and some of the other stuff we've watched right so much of it isn't so much about the terror of of the 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 supernatural itself insofar as it it exists in seven victim it, it it isn't so much supernatural but in cat people it absolutely is but that's not really the part that's scary about it it's the the suspense and the terror that's produced by what's happening to the characters uh, versus a lot of other stuff like that can be supernatural or it could be just straight up slasher films where part of what's making us terrified is the fear of, that leads up to and then immediately follows after the actual attack, whatever the attack comes. And it could be something straight up supernatural like a Dracula figure or a monster eating somebody or it could be like the, the, the visceral horror of being you know cut down by uh like a like jason or mike myers or something uh which to me like the idea of getting stabbed with a butcher's knife or being eaten by i don't know like wolfman or some some werewolf creature or something that feels very physical and real that to me is so much that's a different type of terror than i get from something like cat people where it's more about what is happening i'm I'm more fearful for the characters than i am necessarily for myself the other kind i feel very much like i actually have some of that fight or flight reflex inside when it's a good movie anyway
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and I think the this is very much along the lines of uh, the three types of horror that uh, Stephen King distinguishes in *Dance Macabre. So, he uh, terror which is entirely uh up is through suggestion. Uh it's what you don't see, what you uh, uh that you know your your mind is filling in the blanks. Uh, and so a lot of cat people uh, uh, and and the seventh victim are operating uh, on that level. Uh, the Blair Witch Project would be uh, another example. Terror very, being very very difficult to pull off, and uh, but if it does, if you if, if you succeed, then it really it can really linger in the mind. Horror being that now you actually do see something physically wrong. Right, the, there is actual violence. You actually see the monster. Uh, there is going to be a, a more uh, in-your-face quality to it, and then revulsion, uh, which speaks for itself. Right, it's, it's the gross out. That's where the, the the innards are on the floor, and uh, the and each of them has their their the their role to play uh, in horror, depending on the story um and what the the story is is trying to achieve uh if you do terror really well if you do any of them very badly then they're they're just going to be boring or funny
1: and he knows all about that because he did make maximum overdrive so that's right uh revulsion
0: on the the face of it would appear to be the the least artistic of the three uh but that isn't necessarily the case so when you know when you look at um you know some of the the best films that came out of the the new french extreme uh in the, uh, the the early 2000s uh so while uh well the the you had the 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 torture porn flowering uh on this side of the atlantic with saw and hostel and so forth uh france was producing high tension inside the uh, frontiers and uh, perhaps most extraordinarily uh martyrs which uh is is absolutely horrifying in the, the, gruesomeness of the torture that goes on and on and on and on and on and on, uh, in that film, but, uh, to absolutely brilliant effect, all right? So we, yeah, the, the tradition of both is there all the way going all the way back, or, or rather all three of these, um, levels of horror goes all the way back through the genre, uh, or the, or the field, uh, to its, uh, uh, it, it, to its earliest uh, literary forms at the end of the 18th century. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're also going to have very different effects on the audience members. Uh, I think perhaps for some of the reasons that you just outlined.
1: Okay. So we've run a little bit long and we've got to stop this because we got to select our new film. And it is my choice, which is great. Because it means I get to go back to the well of films not from the United States, although while still into the West, and also still in Germany, because apparently that's my thing now, because I just keep going back to German films. This time, though, we're not looking at Fritz Lang, we're looking at Werner Herzog, who some of you may know as the guy who seems like he's murdered people for a living for the past 25 years which may be true because he could be a German spy. I don't know. Uh, but we're going to be doing a film called Fitzcarraldo, which is kind of infamous for being the uh, ship going over a mountain film in which that apparently really did happen during production. And I'm sure we'll have lots to say about it. So that's what we're watching, David.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: It's going to be crazy because it's it's got Klaus Kinski in it and it's Werner Herzog. Absolutely. And he's sort of bonkers. He's also in the Mandalorian, by the way. Did you see that? I don't know. You didn't see that, did you? No, I didn't. No. He got interviewed about it. Yeah. So Werner Herzog yeah. is like one of those like larger than life figures. So he's in the Mandalorian oh, yeah. doing something. And they interviewed him about it. And he's like, I know nothing about Star Wars, but the Mandalorian is like phenomenal. He was like, so excited to be part of it. Because I guess they <laughs> went back to sort of traditional filming, you know, with lots of like mm-hmm. practical cinematography and stuff and he was just like i guess like a kid in a candy store when they were doing that so he's super excited <laughs> and then i found out immediately after that that Werner herzog had been shot by a bb gun once during oh, yes. an interview and then just kept going like and he's like yeah. bleeding out of his belly and he's just like it's not a big deal and the, the, the interviewer is like going like dude you've been shot and he's like it's like it's nothing it's not it's inconsequential it's, it, not, a it's not
0: a significant bullet is was is what he says <laughs>
1: it's not a significant yeah that's <laughs> great, so that's what we're in for We're in for Fitzcarraldo if you are interested in watching it, it is you know streaming on most of the services, et cetera et cetera so uh on that note we gotta get out of here David we do so bye 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 see ya <laughs> awkward ending and scene.